Well, good morning, and thanks so much for joining us on this Friday morning. Heading into the weekend, short work week for many because the kids are out of school. A lot of people took holidays this week as well, so they could be home with the kids. And so the week flies by. Warm weather, though, and mild temperatures make it feel a lot better. And we've got continued nice weather as we head into the weekend. Speaking of this weekend, tomorrow will mark two years since Russia's full-scale invasion of Ukraine. It's hard to believe two years. It's It's been going on so long. And, you know, I think a lot of people, I just had a conversation with a friend last night who said, you know, with the war in the Middle East, with Israel-Hamas, there's been so much attention to that and the protests that we see in our country protesting that. Often it almost causes you to forget about the war in Ukraine. And this friend was saying, like, I, I feel like we need to do more to raise awareness about the fact this is going on. It's been going on for two years. And often, you know, we've got lots of connections, not just in Canada, but right here in Saskatchewan to Ukraine. And it has an absolute impact on it. So on Monday, we are going to be basically taking a big, big part of the show and featuring a discussion on this exact topic. In fact, we're going to talk with someone who's been in Ukraine for the better part of two years offering humanitarian relief. We're also going to be talking with representatives from the Ukrainian-Canadian Congress, both in Saskatchewan and in Regina, and we'll feature a couple of displaced Ukrainians. We've got a lot, thousands, that have come to Canada as a result of the war. We'll talk with uh, one uh, gentleman that's been here in Saskatchewan for a period of time and uh, what that's been looking like for him and, of course, the worry of what's going on back home. That said, Angela Hill is a Saskatoon journalist, the communications delegate with the Red Cross. She is currently in Ukraine. She went over there as part of a Red Cross mission to support the residents of Ukraine, and we have Angela on the phone right now. We're glad to have you join us, Angela. Thank you. So this isn't your first time being overseas and offering aid. Back in April of 22, you were actually on the ground in neighboring Romania. What has changed in the two years since you were over there originally and what you're seeing now? Well, I mean, when I was in Romania in 2022, it was very early on. All of this was really new. But what has stayed the same is there's still that uncertainty. People who are in Ukraine don't are still dealing with everyday stress. Um, you know, there's daily air alerts in, in many parts of the country, uh, and those on the front line can lack access to healthcare, food, and basic necessities. So it is still a highly, highly stressful environment for people who are in Ukraine. I can't imagine how tough it is. Are you getting a sense of what morale is like for people just day to day living? People here are incredibly resilient, and I'm struck by that over and over again, whether I'm talking to volunteers or people who have been displaced and are now living in new communities within Ukraine. Uh, I met these um, incredible women who are helping through a home care program. Uh, they have been displaced themselves. They've become volunteers with Red Cross, and now they go to help other older adults who maybe when they left their children couldn't come with them. Um, their relatives were, have moved to other places. So these are people who are able to live alone, but just with a little bit of extra help. And so now they have people who are experiencing a similar thing they are, coming and seeing them three days a week, helping with some cooking, helping with some cleaning, um, 
just coming together and being able to share stories of the loss that they're experiencing, but the hope that one day they will be able to go home. And so you see these really strong, resilient people. Uh, if I have time for another story I can speak to, this afternoon I uh, spent some time with a group of kids aged four to seven years old. Um, they're from a community that no longer offers kindergarten just because with the way things are, they just don't want to have the kids in the kindergarten. So this has become a child-friendly space where these kids can come together and interact with other kids. It's run by Ukrainian Red Cross, and um, there's games. There's Today they made lions to take home for their parents by gluing orange and yellow construction paper together to, to just bring some, some joy and and it's really incredible to see that resilience despite the ongoing difficulties of daily life. Absolutely. We're talking with Saskatoon journalist Angela Hill, a communications delegate with the Red Cross over in Ukraine. I know you're visiting different communities. What part of Ukraine are you in right now, and what are you seeing? What does it look like? So I uh, am in eastern Ukraine, um, and you know I've been in a lot of the larger cities. So these are where people who have been displaced from smaller communities have come to from areas um, that are not safe to be in anymore, have arrived in. Uh, so I see um, a real mixture of things. In some ways, I see regular city life. You know, people go out to get groceries. They go out to work where they can. And you have this stark reminder of the situation you're living in because the air alarm siren goes off and people need to seek shelter. They need to find somewhere safe just in case. And, or you, you drive through an area and you see, you know, damage and destruction to apartment buildings or to other infrastructure. So it is really, um, yeah, it's a really interesting situation for us. You know, I, I feel, and we've talked about the fact that because this has been going on for so long and other major world events, including wars, have started up since this war in Ukraine has started two years ago, people have started to lose focus. Uh, it hasn't made front page news as much. Being over there, do you feel like people in Ukraine feel supported or abandoned during this battle? I think people see the support. I mean, where I've gone, when people have heard that I'm from Canada, they're so excited, right? And then when I tell them I'm from, from Saskatchewan, they're even more excited because they know how many Ukrainians live in Saskatchewan, live in Canada. Um, the Canadian Red Cross has had a huge impact through the International Red Cross movement. Um, you know, they've supplied uh, hundreds of thousands of emergency relief items. Um, their fund social, uh, psychotherapists at uh, rehabilitation hospitals so people can get mental health support. Um, they're providing expertise in, in medical and shelter and um, community engagement uh, by, by sending experts to, to support the Ukrainian Red Cross. So people see the support that Canadians especially have given them through Red Cross. That's amazing. What You specifically, what type of work are you and the team that you're over there with, the delegation you're with, what are you involved in? So I'm here uh, temporarily. I do communications work so I can help, you know, the, the larger community worldwide understand what the situation still is in Ukraine and, and the support that is still needed. Uh, and I'm part of a larger team that includes experts, uh, as I was mentioning, in shelter, in engaging communities, in uh, relief items. And we integrate very closely with the Ukrainian Red Cross 
because they're the ones, they have the volunteers in every community. They're the ones that know the situation inside and out. And we are here to provide support and guidance where needed, but also just be a support to those people, uh, like for me, for the communications team, where they need it. How can I talk to people that uh, maybe they aren't reaching and, and how can we bring everything together to help people truly understand uh, where things are at? Talking with Angela Hill, Saskatoon journalist, communications delegate with the Red Cross over in Ukraine right now. So with such strong ties to Ukraine here in Saskatchewan, I'm sure many people listening are wondering how they can help. What is the best way for us to get help to Ukraine? Yeah, I mean, people who are living in Saskatchewan are are encouraged to donate to the Ukraine Humanitarian Crisis Appeal being run by Red Cross. Uh, That can be done online at redcross.ca. Or if you text the word Ukraine to the 20, 222. So that's a two, a zero, 222. And that automatically donates $10. And, and this money raised enables the Red Cross Red Crescent movement to respond to the humanitarian needs uh, generated now, but also helping build resilience. So as these communities start to recover, as rebuilding and reconstruction starts, it's building back stronger, it's bringing communities back together. So there's that increased resilience for anything that could happen in the future. I know you're you're still over there for a bit yet, Angela, but what would you say is your biggest takeaway from this visit so far? Um, I, I really, just to come back to that piece around resilience, Uh, I have met person after person from a four-year-old child to an 86-year-old woman, and they all speak with such strength of supporting one another and such hope for the future where um, there will be no more violence, uh, fighting will stop, and uh, people can return home. Thank you very much for your time today. I appreciate it. Thank you. Angela Hill, Saskatoon journalist, communications delegate with the Red Cross, And, uh, boy, some incredible work going on. She is one of many different people from our province, from our country, that are over in Ukraine and offering help in terms of relief, taking supplies. I mentioned on Monday we're going to be talking with a Saskatchewan farmer who's actually been over there for over 600 days providing relief, and he has got some incredible stories, including being captured as a hostage by the Russians and the conversation. I mean, it's uh, it's quite a story. I look forward to chatting with Mr. Paul Hughes on Monday, one of a few talks that we're going to do. And as Angela pointed out, if you want to donate, if you want to help the cause, redcross.ca is a great place to go. They've got the uh, humanitarian relief efforts that are going on from Canada to Ukraine. You can do that as well. And she even mentioned you can text 20222. If you text the word Ukraine, it's an automatic $10 donation Uh, to the charity. You're listening to 980 CJME and 650 CKOM. Just about lunchtime on a Friday, we started this morning off talking with Samantha Beacott, the president of the Saskatchewan Teachers Federation. And I wanted to, off the start, talk about the conversation I had yesterday with Jamie Smith-Windsor, the president of the Saskatchewan School Boards Association. I said to STF President Beacott this morning that when we talked with Jamie yesterday, she felt like there were some good strides with classroom complexity. Out of the last round of bargaining, there was a committee that was struck. That committee did some work, and it was not just the province It was teachers, it was parents, it was school boards weighing in on the notion of classroom complexity. And I mentioned that 
as far as the Saskatchewan School Boards Association is concerned, they want to take what that was learned and done through that committee and implement it. Does the STF see that differently? This is what Samantha Beacott had to say. No, um, and even, like I said, even the Minister of Education said that um, he could have written all of the recommendations prior to even coming into the portfolio of education. There's nothing new that was uh, really revolutionary about class size and complexity that was coming out of that report. And, and I mean, even with the provincial education plan, year after year, we are saying any plan that we put forward with education needs to come with a commitment uh, to be funded. And this government continues to refuse to make those commitments. And so, uh, as I said, that is why we need to have something in our provincial collective agreement um, that holds government accountable to funding and holds school boards accountable to directing those funds um, to our classroom. If we're all committed to working towards improving class size and complexity, this isn't something that should be uh, such a sticking point. We know that it happens in other provincial agreements and in other provinces with teachers. Um, and so I don't know why it is such a uh, such a, a fight here in Saskatchewan to ensure predictable and sustainable funding and ensure that our kids are getting the support that they need. The other part of the discussion that I wanted to have with Samantha Beacott was the fact that this week, the STF did a news conference and outlined how violence in the classroom looks. And it was astonishing to me. And we spent a lot of time, even yesterday, talking about the fact that we are seeing significant violence. This isn't, uh, you know, a kid in kindergarten who's acting out and, you know, takes a swat at a teacher or, you know, a child that, that bites because they're six years old and, you know, maybe they've, they've got some special needs and, and it needs support in the classroom. We're talking about middle year students, high school students that are basically committing aggravated assault, breaking the jaw, breaking the nose of a teacher. And I said to STF President Beacott this morning that I just can't see how we don't have more serious implications for the students that are committing these crimes, because that's what they are, crimes, and how is funding to the schools going to solve a problem that, in my mind, is is much bigger than that? Yeah, I, I recognize your position, and again, it is it is because teachers care so much about their kids, and they recognize the, the broken system that these uh, students have been placed in and the lack of supports that are provided to prevent those uh, instances and in happening. And I mean, when you're talking about jail time, you're not going to throw a five-year-old or a six-year-old into jail who um, gets frustrated and, and uh, exhibits the behaviors uh, that goes along with those frustrations because they don't have the skills necessary to to manage it. We need to have the supports in schools that so that students, young people, we're not talking about teenagers in all of these instances, uh, and even teenagers, they, they should be given the opportunities to learn the skills necessary um, to, to be able to manage their emotions and, and understand their emotions and then communicate them in an appropriate way and not through behaviors. And um, I mean, I have kids of my own, I see them get frustrated, um, and, and I understand that that uh, those frustrations, sometimes they come out in behaviors, but it's not a conscious decision that they're making to to have those behaviors. They're coming out of frustration. It's, uh, you know, we kind of we dance around that issue because I really am, am feeling as though, you know, your child acting out at home out of frustration 
We've all seen it. Uh, I didn't take a swipe at my dad. I can tell you that. <laughs> I, would not, I would not have done that, nor would I have at a teacher. And I think you're probably the same way. Lots of texts that we got this morning on this, too. Uh, one I'm just looking at here that said, violence is a learned behavior. Teachers are with kids six hours a day. Parents are with kids 18 hours. Parents need to take responsibility. It's been a problem for years. In fact, this texter says, I was a teacher assistant and I quit 20 years ago. I've been kicked, bit, stabbed with a pen. I don't blame the child because I have, and I know the background of the children that I work with. As a male, they had me working with a lot of the children who had behavioral problems. This needs to be looked at from a different angle. I think uh, I think there is something to be said there that needs to be understanding that we're not going to solve what is a life problem for many children or young adults. We're not going to solve it just simply through education funding. You're listening to 980 CJME and 650 CKOM.